Welcome to the Broadcasters Roundtable here on Flyers Radio 24-7. They are bubble-bound. The Flyers are headed to Toronto to resume their chase of the franchise's third Stanley Cup. And as we prepare for this, albeit different playoff ride, we welcome you back into our latest Broadcasters Roundtable. Tim Saunders with Jim Jackson, Steve Coates, Chris Terrian, and Bill Melter. Guys, they were the hottest team when the season was paused. They had won 9 of 10, uh, it was 18 of their last 24, and I think the prevailing emotion was that they had been robbed of a chance to kind of see this through. COVID-19 has uh, affected all of our perceptions and priorities, but Jimmy, the excitement will start with you. Uh, having the opportunity to play again, I know is felt throughout the league and throughout the sporting world. That's uh, the prevailing relief, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is, Timmy. I mean, you're talking about, I, I think for all the guys as they were preparing to come to Philadelphia for, for the camp, it was the same angst, the same anxiety that you're talking about. But I think once they got together and, and started playing and then had practices and scrimmages, it, it all becomes about the hockey. And I think the excitement level really does then grow. Of course, the next step will be getting to the bubble and then finding out what that's like. So there's a certain amount of anxiety over that as well. But I, judging by what I've seen and read, the NHL has basically not left any stone unturned in terms of trying to keep these guys safe and making the situation in the two bubbles just perfect for them, as perfect as they can make it. So I think the NHL has got a real shot to, to pull this off. They're in cities or markets that are not in, in trouble with the virus. They're in bubbles. They're all close proximity to the rinks. So I think all those concerns kind of go out the window. Once they're on the ice, Timmy, you know these guys. It's going to be all about the competition. Billy has been there every day. Uh, they've been really trying to control the, uh, the proximity to the team while uh, trying to keep everybody healthy. Billy, it's a, it's a weird environment to be in for sure but uh, they're going to make the best of it yeah i mean that's that's really all anybody can do you know and and then there are there are factors such as you know the, in a july you know you're going to deal with ice conditions those kind of things too you know like you, you see things you know you see things on the on the ice and whatever you know the the first few days for example i mean you, you could tell guys have been quite quite some time some some of them hardly skated at all. Some guys that had access to route, like Ivan Provorov. So the first couple of days were only about guys getting their legs and conditioning back. Um, each day, the pace got quicker. The drills got a little more demanding, and the turnaround between drills was a lot quicker. Like like the way that uh, you know being your typically prefers. So you know, I, I like the way that the camp was structured. Um, everything was done very you know, very intelligent design to it where it was a few days before systems were introduced. Um, then they they had the first of the scrimmages, and then, you know, and then they introduced special teams. Final scrimmage was yesterday, and it was a kind of unusual scrimmage in that half of the first and second periods were entirely devoted to power play, you know, and then you have the, the final practice um, on Saturday. So, you know, I, I mean, I really, I really think that the design of this was very intelligent, and in such a short period of time, you have to get the team ready. I think that they they hit on all the bases they have to hit on, and at this point, it's just you know pack everybody up and and go to the bubble, and you know obviously there's the ongoing testing and whatnot. But I mean, as you said, Jimmy, they 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 did leave no stone unturned. They took no chances, like uh, Jake Voracek, you know, and he he volunteered what his situation was last week, where he had a an inconclusive COVID test, you know, that came back late. 
So he's held off the ice till he, till he retested and you know, he was fine. He felt fine all along, but you don't want to take any chances just in case. And I think that I think they've been very smart with that throughout camp. We got a chance to talk to Elaine Pino uh, a few moments ago. And Coach, you asked him, uh, the great unknown, managing the unknown elements of this whole thing is going to be maybe decisive. It, it is for sure. I like his answers about the fact that everybody's going to have the same circumstance because nobody's had this happen. I mean, it's never happened in anybody's lives. I kind of likened it when I was a kid as a peewee, you played against uh, in, in empty buildings. The only difference here is that your family's not there to watch you play. They played before empty buildings before, <laughs> but you, you, I, I think the boredom is going to be the number one problem to be able to keep people interested because you're not going to be able to be active. Uh, you're going to be stuck in a hotel for an awful long time. So it's going to be really tough. But I think that the coaches are going to be doing everything they possibly can to keep the team engaged. I think he's already talked about the fact that he wants to get together with the group as much as possible. And it's probably going to be very interesting to see how the team responds and being there and and being involved, like he said, the World Cup. Now think about the World Cup. You're going there, you're representing your country, you're together, you're part, and you're trying to win for your country. Here, you're there, you're part, you're seeing the other teams all the time. And I think that it's going to increase the the thought process of trying to win. I think the co competitive level of this, this group uh, is going to really shine as this moves so forward. Let's bring Bundy in here. Bundy, as uh, as a former player, how difficult under these circumstances is it going to be for clubs to maintain focus? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny, Timmy, when you uh, when you talk about the um, what's going on, it's very it's a difficult situation in the sense that the players are going there, and you're going to have no access to your family. I mean, even when you go on the road for what's a long road trip now, maybe two weeks, guys go on the road and they get back, and uh, and their families are there. So. Really, every year they always talk about how every team is disappointed if the Stanley Cup winner. Well, I'll tell you what, there'll be really 23 very disappointed teams this summer because if the team that does go all the way and wins will be gratified for life. The teams that go deep and lose, it'll be uh, it'll leave a bitter taste in people's mouths just because of the set of circumstances. So there will be truly one true winner this year, but I think it's going to be a challenge. And I said, uh, I think it was called Bill Meltzer, maybe JJ about a month ago. I said, I really felt this was going to go in three stages for the Flyers. The coaches will take the bull by the horns to start it. I think the leadership group has to take over when they get to Toronto for the first 10 or 12 days. And then I hope that after that, a lot of the young legs really become a, a prevalent part of what this team needs to do in the summer. So there's a roadmap for them. I think that things look very promising from what the season they had, the chemistry they built. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this shakes out for the Flyers and everybody else uh, inside this bubble in Toronto and Edmonton. It'll be interesting for sure, guys. Guys, as I think about this team going into this playoff, unlike a lot of other clubs, this team is not built around, well, maybe not star-dependent as some other clubs. There may be some advantages to that. The strength of this team is just that. They're a team that they're hard to play against. Uh, open this up to anybody. But are there advantages, you think, of not being so star-dependent? I think so, Timmy. When you look at Flyers playoff teams from the past, if we go back to the Lindros era, it was a one-line team, the Forsberg's year, one-line team for the most part. And then the Richards-Carter situation, maybe a little more balanced in terms of a couple lines, but still not a very deep team. And the recent teams have been kind of one-line. 
this is a team that that has three lines that can score and and they get a, a lot of energy from their fourth uh and as you said i mean their their team scoring numbers are are very good and yet there's no one up near the top that means you have a balanced team that's a harder team to check but what what team what uh, opponent uh, uses their checking line against which line, right? And, and for Sean Couturier, he's so good both ways. So uh, uh, AV probably doesn't care either way. He's going to go up either against maybe the top scoring line of the other team, or he can use Couturier's line as a scoring line if, if the uh, other coach goes the other way. So it gives him flexibility. They also have lots of weapons on defense. It's not just Ivan Bowman. Matt Niskanen can contribute offensively. Sanheim. Myers, if Ghost is as good as advertised, he's been having a great camp. Uh, he could become a weapon. So there are a lot of offensive weapons available for AV, and I think that really helps come playoff time. The matching becomes so intense. To agree with you, agree with you, I think that the menu that is available to him right now, because he brings up not only the existing team and the players that were involved when this COVID hit, but he's talking about people that have been added, like Friedman, back on the blue line where you have multiple choices. The other thing is that I don't think that the attention goes enough to picking up the likes of a Nate Thompson and a Derek Grant, of, who just add so much to this lineup, where the the options now for this coach, I think, is, is really endless because he has so much available to him. Uh, I'll say also that, uh, you know, the other day, Mike Yo was talking about the importance of particularly of the uh, of the Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers pairing. And we were talking about, you know, talking about all the depth that's on the team. And Yo was saying that you know, the last time the Flyers played Washington, you know, they uh, they, they had you know, they had the ability to, to line to line match and the last one they were filling and they, they deliberately put the Sanheim and Myers pairing out against the Ovechkin line and it, it worked out really well. They also said that when they played Toronto at home, it was a similar kind of thing. The last time they played Toronto, they put Sanheim's pairing out, out against uh, Austin Matthews line. And so the ability to do that, the ability to have more than one line when you have because any team that's gonna go deep is going to have depth you know you have to have three storylines in, in today's league so you, know, you can't have Provorov out there all the time to have another pairing that you can rely on people will have to see how they do under the playoff pressure they're still untested there and it's a whole other game but if that pairing sell against top lines and you can match Provorov against you know another top line then you know then that really sets you up to where your own offensive depth and the Flyers have four lines that they can roll I mean you know, Jimmy touched on it, that it's they're not a one-line team. There's not just the one particular superstar that you know that all the team has to look out for. You shut down that line, always contain it. You have a good chance to win. To me, the teams that can deep are the teams that can win low-scoring games when they have to. So they'll they'll be in every game. And then the teams that different guys step up offensively every game. And I think the Flyers have the at least the potential to be that kind of a team. Yeah, I agree with I agree with you, Phil. Uh, you know, I was talking to Craig Baruby, uh, you know, friend to all of us, but this week, and I asked him really what he thought of like with matchups and and how the season, you know, what what you take from the regular season to the playoff atmosphere. And uh, you know, what he said he goes, "I'm really going to rely on my veteran players because I have to because the veteran guys are what's going to carry me here." Uh, matchups, you know, going through last spring really helped them, uh, but this is. Uh, I think when you look at uh, what the Flyers have, guys, and I guess the, the one part, we remember how well they played, right? They lost one game to the Bruins before, uh, the, you know, the, the world got locked out from a sense. 
So I think when you look at how the Flyers have done from that standpoint, I want to. I think that the chemistry they built is going to be the one hard part to just snap or flip the switch and to recreate it. And I think that's going to be a lot of the case for many teams. So I'm going to be curious to see how how that happens and they get back into that flow because the way they were playing, I mean, they looked like they were unbeatable at times, especially uh, in early March, late February. Well, they've got some really tough decisions to make from a lineup standpoint on any given night, assuming they remain healthy. Looks like Giroux, Couturier, and Voracek are going to start on that top line. Jimmy, he's got some decisions to make, especially on the left side of the second and third line. And Joel Farabee and JVR uh, provide different looks to both of those lines. They really do. And, and Joel Farabee's had a tremendous camp. He's really opened some eyes. And I think uh, given the coaching staff a, a, a little more confidence in maybe using him at an elevator role, but they've also shifted him back down. So I, I, again, it's all about flexibility to me. I think that AV we're, we're not going to see the same lines throughout the entire run. Hopefully it's a long run for the flyers. You know, they're going to switch up the second you lose the game. They'll probably be switched. That's just the way it works in the playoffs, but he has the ability to move players up and down. Uh, he has some flexible players in terms of reversible players like Scott Watton who can go from wing to the middle. Uh, that can really give a, a coach some, some options. So that's a good thing to have come playoff time. You're also going to have injuries, hopefully no illness, but you're going to have injuries. So uh, things will move around. I mean, Oscar Lindblom is kind of a wild card. I was shocked when, when we found out that he might actually be able to play at some point in this tournament, which is unbelievably great news, the fact that we're even considering it. But if he becomes part of the equation – that depth obviously grows that much more. So uh, it's, it's a good situation to have. I, I understand what, what Bundy's saying, though. What they built through especially February and March, but really from November on, where they were one of the best teams in the NHL, that's kind of gone. I mean, this is almost like starting a new season. So they've got to reestablish that momentum. They get the preseason game and the three round-robin games to do that, which I think is a big advantage to those teams. They don't have do or die games. They can try to build that momentum, get that chemistry in those games. And I think those four games really will be important in that vein. During camp, there were almost two distinct looks to to the combinations. I mean, the, the, the same lines were used for the first three days. But, you know, you, you, you talked about the versatility of Scott Lawton. The, the beginning of camp, Lawton was playing center. Um, and... Nate Thompson, if you were to do a depth chart, would, would be out of that group of 12, and he would be the 13th. And then there were also looks where Thompson was in the middle and Scott Lawton was back on left wing. So, I mean, I think that might be some of the decision-making there. If if Joel Farabee is in the lineup, and, and I assume he would be, um, you know, if, if the decision had to be made today just because he had a really good camp and, you know, he does that and add a, an element to the team. Um, I would think that you might see you might see Lawton play at center, um, and also where Derek Grant is in the lineup, whether he's on the third line or fourth line, will also depend on you know how the rest of the lineup shakes out and whether Nate Thompson is out there. Um, when they did the special teams practice, I thought it was interesting because they were rotating reps on the second power play unit. Uh, some had Farabee, some had uh, Nick Abe Kubel, some had. Um, some had Travis Sanheim, some had Tim Gossespierre. So I think that, uh, you know, how the special teams and how the lines are going to look, all that's going to tie into, you know, what, what your group of 12 is. And I think you could you could take it either which way. But I, I would think 
if uh, just based just based on camp, that if it were to start right now, I would think Farabee would be in the lineup. And based on the fact that that Robert Haig remained with Justin Braun, who certainly is a lock for the lineup, they remain together throughout camp. I think Robert Haig stays in in your starting lineup, and he played really well during that stretch of 26 games up to the age. Couple of reactions from the forwards. It really highlights or underlines how important Chuck Fletcher's late season additions were. If playoff series sometimes are decided by depth, third and fourth lines, uh, Coatsy, Bundy, uh, the addition of Derek Grant and Nate Thompson could really be huge. Well, I think the number one thing when you take a look at what they bring, I mean, obviously, uh, I, I love Grant for his grit, and I think that Thompson brings the expertise of a real solid fourth-line player. And, and and when you take a look at this team and, and, and how it's developed over the year, where you guys were talking about, well, back in November, they were learning and they were understanding, and Vigneault made them accountable, and they grew together. And so all of a sudden, they started to understand that they could play play with the, with the big boys. Next thing you know, you pick up a Grant, you pick up a Nate Thompson, and don't forget about the addition of Obey Kubel. I mean, this kid is the real deal. I mean, all of a sudden he's playing on the power play. And I love, I got to go back to the, the addition of the grit. The grit is so important, especially in a playoff series like this, where you're going to have a long situation and you need that constant hammering of the other team. And this, this group, the guys that Fletcher went out and got, bring that to the table. And I think it's just a great thing. I'm going to add to that. You know, it's really funny. You talk about, a lot of teams talk about how important it is for those offensive guys, the pressure for them to score. You know, there's also a pressure on defensive forwards, uh, top defensemen to keep the puck out of the net and to limit chances coming the other way. You know what? Nate Thompson and Derek Grant and those other guys that do great defensive work, they don't have to do it alone. They can do it by committee. And let me tell you something, when it's not just one great defensive center on a depth line, uh, you got a group collectively doing it. What a bonus that is for a team. I agree with you 100%. And I do feel that that is the Flyers' strongest suit. If, Like J.J. just pointed out, I said to earlier, if they can regrow it to some point in that chemistry they had, they're going to think it'd be really, really in a good place. And it's because of those depth players. Hey, the other unknown is Shane Gostisbehere because uh, Jimmy, uh, Elaine Vigneault said this is as good as he's seen him maybe ever. Yeah, I mean, we probably just didn't realize the, the problem he had physically with not one, but both knees for this past season and maybe even beyond going back a little bit to last year too. So uh, he seems to have the mobility back, that jump. We, we know that he's not the fastest skater, but he's very quick with his moves. And we haven't really seen a lot of that. And uh, according to those who have been watching him in camp and most importantly, his coach, uh, those are back. And if that's the case, uh, as Bill mentioned, he may not start game one because Robert Haig certainly hasn't done anything to deserve to, to come out. But it's it's quite a, a nice thing for a coach to have, to have a Shane Gossip ready to jump in. Let's say the power play started there. Let's say they need a little offense, a little, little boost from, from the D offensively. Obviously, Shane, when he's going well, can, can provide that. So it's a, it would be a, a bonus maybe we weren't expecting to have if Shane Goss despair of his rookie season or of his third season all of a sudden appears for this tournament because if, if he does, the Flyers suddenly have one of the better offensive defensemen in the NHL that they're adding to the mix. And here we are 20 minutes in. We haven't talked about the guy that might be the most important guy to all of this is Carter Hart. Players got a little bit of a scare this past week when he left uh, 
a scrimmage, but it appears as if he's okay. Again, uh, it makes the case uh, how important Brian Elliott could be in all of this. Yeah, I, I would say that, uh, you know, at least Brian Elliott has had a, an outstanding camp in general, but particularly this week and that scrimmage yesterday with uh, all the power play work. I mean, Elliott was, was really, really sharp. So that's, uh, you know, I mean, obviously the, the, Ideal scenario is that Carter Hart is fine, and he should be. Apparently, it was nothing serious. Um, you know, you, we'll see how we'll see. There's one more practice to go. Hopefully, Carter will get through it and be fine. And you know, we don't have to discuss that any further. But uh, if it does come to a, a scenario where they they rely on Ryan Elliott as you know as the guy going in, uh, you know, they, there's confidence in him, and he's a guy who's been to the been to a conference final before as a starter in St. Louis. So. You know he does he does have that experience, but obviously Carter Hart uh, with the season he the season he had, particularly in the second half. I mean, you know he he's obviously critical for every team. Goaltending is going to be critical, but but a goaltender with his collection of abilities and his unusual maturity, obviously he's a key key player. And I think a lot of people exhaled yesterday when when Carter stepped out of the ice after the scrimmage, and it was just a precautionary thing to hold him out of the scrimmage. And he'll be fine and you know good to go. Well, it's going to be a unique opportunity for everybody. Uh, that's how the Flyers are kind of approaching this, uh, that it's an opportunity. And we all are just happy that we're in a position to help bring it to Flyer fans. For the yeah, Jimmy, I enjoy, I'll enjoy uh, calling the game off a monitor uh, in the booth down the road from you. Yeah, you're going to have to be a little quiet because I'm afraid we're going to hear you a little bit. Uh, I was afraid hey, of you at that same rate. <laughs> yeah, we're also going to have, I think, one day, I think Mark Zumoff might actually be up there doing a Sixers game on it. So it'll be quite interesting. Going to be different. Calling a game off monitors. Every local broadcast team is doing that around the league. Uh, they're trying to limit who is in the bubble in Toronto and Edmonton and who is not. But hey, guys, we got games, and that's something to be happy about. Oh, no. For our latest Flyers Broadcasters Roundtable, for Jim Jackson, Steve Coates, Chris Tarion, and Bill Meltzer, I'm Tim Sonny.